0: Our pre-K and elementary are dismissed now for Children's Church. I am Laura Case, and our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm chapter 145. Verses 1 through 3, 8 to 14, and 21. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever.
1: Amen. Thank you, Laura. I love that psalm. I'm pretty sure Shane and Shane sing that song that psalm. So when it goes, I just read it in their voice with their guitar strumming in the background. I love that psalm as it is a psalm of praise. Guys, today we are at the end of the life of David. Who wants to praise the Lord? No, I'm just kidding. You don't need to praise the Lord that he's dead. I mean, it it is going to happen, but that's that's not really where we're headed today. Today we are, though, putting a bow on this sermon series on the life of David. Uh, This series, man, I got to tell you, it has had some high highs, And it has had some low lows. As I look at the life of David, there are times whenever I like identify with this guy. I'm like, yes, we are very similar. And then there are other times where I look at David's faith and his boldness, and I think, oh, my goodness, who do I think I am that I could ever be like David? And still there are other times in the life of David where I go, is this guy even a follower of God? Who is he? How did they let him into the Bible? This is, this is what I think about these high highs and these low lows. And the, this, this strikes me in, in, in two ways. First, it is super comforting to know that I am not alone in my failures. I mean, come on, there's got to, thank you. There's got to be some more. Like, misery loves company, right? And so when you read the life of David and you see his failures, there is some comfort in knowing we are not alone in our failures. But second, hear, here's, hear me on this one, okay? I marvel that God would accept anything from David. I mean, how could God accept anything that David has to offer? And yet God does. And you know what that does for me? That gives me tremendous hope, tremendous hope that God would accept anything that I might give to him. And what we're told time and time again is that if we love him, if we've placed our faith in him, then by his grace and mercy, he will accept our acts of worship. Last week, we looked at how David walked through the consequences of his sin. And what we learned last week is that you can be genuinely forgiven by God and still have to walk through the consequences of your sin. Now, with, uh, with that, we saw that these consequences that we experience they reveal our need for God, and and sometimes these consequences put us in some pretty desperate places. And as we're in these desperate places, it might be tempting to blame God. But here's the thing: a, a heart of genuine repentance is able to see that we are forgiven, that we are forgiven, and then a genuine heart of repentance is able to see that. That honestly, we made the mess that we're working through. That this is the result of the work of our hands that we are working through. But in this, in this mess, what did we learn last week? as we, we read the psalm that David wrote while he was fleeing from Absalom. We learned that as we go through the mess, we can call out to God to be our shield and our sustainer. Even as we go through the consequences of our sin. Or even as we go through the consequences of the sin of others, we can still cry out to God to be our shield and our sustainer. And then the last thing that we learned as we went through last week in experiencing the consequences of our sin is that we can worship. We can worship God even as we go through these really hard and really tough things. These hard and tough things that many times are the result of our own sinful action. Even as we experience the consequence, we can Worship. You know, when I stop and think about all that David went through because of his sin, there is this, this part of me that says, well, it took him a while, but he finally got there. And like as we end the, the time of him taking the throne back after Absalom, it's like, all right, here we go. Finally, Jesus or God and, and David live happily ever after. Right? Wrong. Like, if you just keep reading, you get to Psalm, uh, sorry, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, and you see that David makes another big blunder. Now, this is the last book of 2 Samuel, the last chapter of 2 Samuel. The last chapter of 2 Samuel ends with David making another mistake. I just find that interesting. But... By God's grace, it's also in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, and 1 Chronicles 21 is not the end of the life of David. So today what we're going to do is we're just going to look for just a minute at this last blunder of David, and then we're going to transition to the last uh, act of David as king as he hands over the reins to the kingdom to Solomon, and we're going we're to go from there. But first, I want you guys to see something in 2 Samuel chapter 24, okay. So uh, as, as David is, is experiencing the, the opportunity to retake the kingdom and he's reigning, uh, chapter 24 tells us that David decided he would count the fighting men of Israel. That he would take a military census. Now, we know that wisdom would tell us if you're going to be a good general, if you're going to be a good commander, then you need to count the cost of battle. In fact, Jesus himself uses the idea of counting the cost of the battle as an example of counting the cost of following him as a disciple. There's even a book in the Bible, just a little one, called Numbers. That's all about counting. Okay, it's all about counting. So this idea here that Jesus or that David wants to count his soldiers isn't bad in and of itself. What we have to do is look at the issue as to why David wanted to count. And all evidence points to that issue being David's pride. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here today, but I do want to read a portion of Psalm chapter 20 that David most uh, assuredly wrote much earlier in his life. So this comes from Psalm 20. And think about this, that David wrote it most likely... Earlier in his life, he says, starting in verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Now, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall but we rise and stand upright. Oh, save the king, may he answer us when we call. All right, now, here's why David sinned by counting his troops. Now, I want you guys to think about this. David was one throughout this series that we've gone through all summer who usually inquired of the Lord. David was always at his best When he was most dependent on God. Now, if you want to write that down in your Bible or in your notes someplace, that's a nugget you can hang on to. David was always at his best when he was most dependent on God. Now, at this moment, when he counts his soldiers, I think we're seeing a a shift in mindset where David begins to trust in chariots. So what did we read in Psalm 20? Some trust in chariots but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. When David begins to count his soldiers, what we're seeing is a shift here to where he is beginning to trust in chariots. And God wanted David totally dependent on him. And so by God's grace and mercy, God will not let David rule in his pride. So God prompts Uh, one of David's generals, Joab, to to warn David that counting these soldiers was a bad idea, but David insisted on a military census, and so God decided that he would give David three choices on how he should uh, endure the consequences of yet another sin. And David chooses the one that's the least amount of time, but still very intense. He chooses a plague. And so God sends this plague on the people of Israel because of David's sin. And a huge chunk of the army that David seemed to have some pride in was taken away. Now think about that. What was his pride in? It was in the vast number of his soldiers. And so where does God discipline David? and the size of his army. Don't be trusting in chariots. Don't be trusting in in armies. Trust in me. Israel was always supposed to trust in the army of the Lord. He, God, was to fight their battles. Now, again, if David would have been the student of the word, that he was supposed to be, he would have remembered this. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're just going to read a portion from verses 1 through 4. This is part of verses 1 through 4. It says this. When you go out to war against your enemies and see the horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. Skip to verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. What's the promise? That the Lord is going to fight his battles. That the Lord is going to defend his people. Does he need to trust in chariots? Does he need to trust in all these soldiers? No. Where should his hope be? His hope should be in the Lord. His trust should be in the Lord. Now, I want you to think about David. We've been talking about his whole reign from the time Saul was king, all the way to now, where he's at the end of his reign. And we have used Deuteronomy chapter 17 as kind of a, a biblical expectation a framework, if you will, for what they should be looking for in a king. And what did we see? There were three marks that God said that the, the king needed to be watchful for. One is that David should not have very many wives. Fail, right? Okay, now what do we see right here? The next was that David shouldn't have very many horses, and we talked about that as a symbol of power, that he shouldn't be trusting in what? Chariots, right? So should David have his trust then in an earthly army? The answer to that is no. So what do we see there? Another failure. Now then there was the third part. The third part is that he shouldn't have too much silver and gold. He shouldn't have too much silver and gold. And where we're going to end our teaching today is, is on, on David here in that we're going to see one of these three places where David sort of got it right. Okay, he s- sort of got it right. First Chronicles makes it pretty clear that David had a lot of money. I mean, like, David had gobs and gobs and gobs of silver and gold. We're talking super wealthy. Now, okay, David had a big army too right? So he's wealthy, he's got a big army, but, but where David seemed to take pride and sin in the power of his army, what we're going to see today is that David did not seem to take pride and sin in his wealth, okay? So we got three things. Women, failed. Army, failed. Riches, sort of, okay? Because he had a lot, and I don't want to diminish that. He just didn't seem to take too much pride in his wealth. Now, David was not afraid to use his wealth for joyful worship. As we look at the last actions of David's life as king, I think we will see something important that we cannot look past. Okay? It's this. David loved God. And despite his sins and his shortcomings, he never stopped worshiping God. No matter what he did. No matter what happened, no matter his failures, David never stopped worshiping God. Despite it all, despite his pride and despite his lust, despite the fact that David was a bad husband and he was a bad father, David never stopped worshiping God. Now, I want you to look at this pattern in David's life. And I need you to hear me on this. Because there is a time in our life, where it'll come, where you think, who am I? How can I follow this God? I have done too much. I am too far gone. And what I want you to see is the pattern of David's life. Okay? What does he do? Now think back as he carried the ark into Jerusalem. And after Uzzah touched it and died, then what happened? David was convicted of his sin of carrying the ark incorrectly. And what did he do? David repented. And then after David repented, We're told that he sacrificed bulls the whole rest of the way to Jerusalem and he danced and worshipped before the Lord the whole way. So what do we have? Conviction of sin followed by repentance followed by worship. Conviction, repentance, worship. But that's not the only time. Now we didn't spend a lot of time on this uh, when we went through the, the sin of David and Bathsheba. But after David and Bathsheba's son dies, 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, verse 20, tells us that after David had interceded for the son that eventually passed away, once the son died, what do we hear? He got up, literally cleaned himself up, and he worshiped. So what do we see? Conviction of sin, repentance, followed by worship. Now, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, this same pattern happens again. David calls for the census, God sends his judgment, and David repents. So David goes out to, the, to this uh, field outside of Jerusalem a little ways, and the Lord reveals his eyes to see this angel that the Lord had sent to, to, to bring this plague on his people. And so David sees this angel, and he is moved to repentance and he buys the field uh, over which this uh, angel was standing, and he builds an altar there with his own hands, and he sacrificed to the Lord there. And the man who owned this field and owned this cattle uh, decided that he wanted to give this land and the oxen to David for this this, uh, sacrifice, for this act of repentance. And David says something. David says, if I'm going to bring a sacrifice to the Lord, It needs to cost me something. If I'm really going to worship the Lord, I need to feel it. So I'm not going to let you give me this field. I'm not going to let you give me the oxen. I'm not going to let you give me the wood. I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you because it needs to cost me something. And so he gave him a measure of gold. And when I did the conversions to the best of my ability, this is a little more than half a million dollars that David gave this man for the lands and for the cattle that he sacrificed to the Lord. So what do we see happen again? David is convicted of his sin. He confesses that sin. He repents, and he worshiped. Do you see that pattern in David's life? Conviction, repentance, worship. Now, this quick aside, I don't want to go too far down here, but uh, any of you guys ever been to church camp? Any of you guys ever been to church camp? Oh, man. Okay, y'all have been delivered from this, most of you. But when I went to church camp, this is the line that I got that just when Clark and I talk about this, and he's on vacation today, it makes our skin crawl. The, the, the pastor would say, Do you ever doubt? Do you ever doubt that you've known Jesus Christ as your Savior? Well, if you've ever doubted, even one time and you want to know for sure today, then make today the day you believe. And anytime I hear that, I cringe. Because what that probably that child is going through is conviction. And really all they need is repentance and worship. Instead, what we tell our kids over and over again is that they've lost their salvation and somehow they need to be saved again. But what we see in a pattern of David's life is that he believed he was in God's grace and he believed he was forgiven. And so when he was convicted by the Spirit, he didn't try to get saved all over again, whatever that looked like in the Old Testament. Okay? Instead, he confessed his sin, he repented of his sin, and he worshiped the Lord. He saw God's salvation, his grace, as an opportunity to worship. No matter what he went through, no matter his mistakes, no matter his suffering, no matter the consequences, David never stopped worshiping God. And so the close of his life is perhaps the climax of the worship that David experienced. So when David is old, And he has given the kingdom to his son Solomon. David kind of gives a uh, farewell address. And this farewell address is kind of in conjunction with a second coronation of Solomon. So he'd, he'd been crowned king once. There's kind of this second coronation that happens of Solomon. And in this address, David expresses many things that have been on his heart. And a lot of them have to do with worship, and wisdom that he wants to pass on to the next king, to his sons in general, to other leaders of God's people, and to, frankly, all who call on the name of the Lord. So this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today, and I promise you, I'm halfway through. Okay. Uh, What what we're going to see today is that uh, David presents us with three ways to worship God joyfully. Three ways that David worships God joyfully. The first thing I want you guys to see is that David worshipped through a desire for joyful obedience. A desire for joyful obedience. He worshipped also through joyful giving. And then he also worshipped through joyful praise. So a desire for joyful obedience through joyful giving and through joyful praise. Now, when we think about David being a man after God's own heart, it's easy to focus on all his mistakes, But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is the only one who has ever been perfect. So the issue is not whether or not you will make mistakes. It's how you respond when the conviction of the Holy Spirit brings that sin to your mind. What we see with David is that in his sin, his sin never kept him from repentance and worship. So let's look at the first way that David joyfully worshiped. At the end of David's life, we see David continuing to express a desire for joyful obedience to the Lord, a desire for joyful obedience to the Lord. Let's look at 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 8 and 9. This is a portion of this final charge of David to Solomon and the rest of the kingdom. It says in verse 8, Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of your God, our God, observe and seek out All the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess the good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. All right, now what does he say that the people should do? What's his charge here at the end? He says that they should seek out the commandments and they should observe the commandments. There's a seeking out and an observance. Church, this is David reminding the people of the importance of inquiring of the Lord. What did he do throughout his life routinely when he was the uh, closest to the Lord? What did we see is when he was most dependent on him. That's when he was the most effective, when he was inquiring of the Lord regularly. What David is telling the people is, inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord and do what he says. So how do we do this? How do we inquire of the Lord? How do we seek out and observe? Well, first we inquire of the Lord by looking at the Bible. One of the things we've talked about throughout this series is if David would have just studied the law, if he would have just lived by the law, if he just would have looked at what the word of God said, he would have known what to do. How many times in our life, if we would just go back to God's word, would God's word show us what we ought to do? Would it clarify for us? I'm trying to choose between this and that. So many times in life, it is really a a, a sinful desire masked in something that we've cooked up that we're deceived by. And if we would just go back to God's word and, and search it diligently, we would, see, we would see that God, can, through his word, can, can take that uh, deception off so we can see what that false desire is, and his word will instruct us and show us what to do. But we also see David get wise counsel from others who are speaking the truth. Now, go throughout the book, the, the book of First and Second Samuel, and how many different times do we see people speaking into David's life? Well, of course, we see Samuel himself, right? We see his good friend Jonathan speaking truth to his life. We see Nathan, the prophet, and Gad, and even Joab as general in chapter 24 of 2 Samuel. These are people that God put in his life to point him to the truth. So often, we're so blind in our desire to defend our sin, we need somebody else to say, hey, you know the truth here. You know what's going on. And so God puts these people to walk with the word to to show us what God would want us to do. Now, that's very important, okay, because some people give bad advice. Amen? Amen. Okay, so we've got to make sure that even the advice we get is in line with God's word. The other thing that David does routinely is he prays. He prays. He, He goes to the Lord. And what we see is that the Lord will not tell us something through the spirit that is contrary to his word. So we pray and we seek the Lord and we ask him to guide our steps. So look at this. It says, observe and seek. So it's not just seeking. How many times do we know the right thing to do and we just don't do it? Right? So it's not a matter of knowing. I have had many a good advice, been told to do the right thing many a times, and still just stubbornly chosen to do my own wrong thing. And that, of course, is what happened to David in 2 Samuel 24. He had the wisdom, and yet still he went his own way and found himself in sin. Now, last week, last week we read from Isaiah chapter 1. And in Isaiah chapter 1, God God told uh, the, the people the same thing that he told King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And that is this, to obey is better than sacrifice. So not only do we have to seek it, we have to accept it, and we have to follow it. So these sacrifices that were offer, uh, offered, um, they, they, were, they were not in and of themselves a bad thing. They were, in a sense, acts of worship. But what was the pattern that we saw in the life of David? Conviction, repentance, repentance, Worship. To obey is better than sacrifice. What we don't want to do is skip the conviction and skip the repentance and then go to worship because what we're told is God does not delight in that kind of worship. That is not what God is interested in. To obey is better than to sacrifice. If we want, It's not that our acts of worship aren't good. It's that our acts of worship have the most significance and our true Acts of worship, when they are framed within repentance. I have acknowledged my faults before God. I have acknowledged my need for God. I know that I need his grace and mercy. And out of that grace and mercy, I can then worship. This is why a central aspect of worship is a life of obedience to God and his word. It is saying, you are Lord. I do want to do things your way. I am following you. I I am submitting to you. Now, what's interesting to me is at the end of David's life, when he's giving his final charge to all the people, he, he could have just glossed over this. We have gone through his life, and we have seen how time and time again David messed up. But David goes out and says, he says, Seek out and observe the law. If he would have just skipped over that part, it would have been to his advantage because he was a guy who routinely fell short and disobeyed. But where I think David really gets some huge kudos is is when, when, when the reality of his sin and his wrongness were presented to him, he did not run from it. This man was not an excuse maker. When the truth came upon him, he confessed it. And he dealt with it and submitted to the Lord. And that put him in a posture of dependence on the Lord, counting on his grace and mercy, and having assurance in the forgiveness that he's experienced. And because he knew that forgiveness so well, he couldn't help but worship. He couldn't help but worship. And this brings us to the second way that we see David worship joyfully. And that is through his joyful and generous giving. Now, the Lord told David that he was not going to be able to build the temple, that he had too much blood on his hands. But what I love is that that didn't stop David from making plans. I'm not going to be able to be the guy that's going to be able to build it. It's not up to me. But you know what David said he's going to do? He says, I'm going to acquire materials from all over the region. And he says, I'm going to get the architects together, and we're going to make the plans, and this thing is going to be awesome. Awesome. And David said he was going to have everything ready so that when Solomon became king, when he took over, he'd have everything ready to go. So David couldn't build the temple, but he didn't want to wait. So I'm going to have everything ready. Boom, Solomon's king. Boom, you start building. Do you see that? He was so zealous for it. Now, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 9, outlines just how generous the giving would be for this temple. Now, earlier I said that David was super rich. And by like super rich, I mean like super rich, okay? This guy was super rich. He gave from his personal treasury literally the equivalent today of billions and billions of dollars worth of materials used for the building of the temple. Now, what I wanted to do for you all is read uh, verses two through five, but it's just number stuff, and it's all in like stuff that we don't do. So uh, I looked at some commentaries and found what they would be to our current weights and then Googled how much gold and silver was worth and then, like, ran it through and made it dollars, okay? And th- so get, this is Google and commentaries. This is not an exact science, but we're going to be in the neighborhood, okay? We're going to be in the neighborhood. So it, David gave around 225,000 pounds of gold. 225,000 pounds of gold. That is over $5 billion worth of gold. Over $5 billion worth of gold. And again, about 525,000 pounds of silver. Now, if you want to know how much more gold is worth than silver today, 525,000 pounds of silver is only, only, $150 million. So, I mean, this is tons and tons of money. Plus, it says that he uh, donated lots of other precious stones that were given, as well as wood and uh, marble. But then David did this. He, he didn't just give of his own treasury. He also asked the leaders of the community to give. And so as he called the, the leaders to give willingly, their combined wealth is staggering. Staggering. When, they're, when they're, all their money was brought in together, it was over $8 billion worth of gold. Over $8 billion worth of gold. And over $225 million worth of silver. Plus, they gave a bunch of precious stones as well. So we're well over $13 billion. Now, if I'm going to put this in perspective at all, the, the new NFL stadium that was just built, SoFi Stadium in L.A., is... Amazing, amazing. Uh, it's where the Chargers and the Rams play. $5.5 billion for that. $5.5 billion for that. The money that was put up for Solomon's temple was well over twice as much, pushing three times as much as it cost to build SoFi Stadium. Does that blow your minds? So we're talking about some generous giving. Some generous giving. Listen to what he says. Now, I want you to think about this in terms of worship. Worship. This is what he says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given, what's it say, church? Willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered, what's that? Freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. To them, this was worship. That generous giving was worship. They had seen all that God had done, and they joyfully gave to the Lord. Now, I love what David says about giving. I want you to listen to his heart about giving uh, as he continues in this, um, uh, like, last charge. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 through 16, David says this, "'Yours, O Lord,' is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? Oh, man, listen to this. For all things come from you and your own and of your own have we given. Do you see that? Like it all comes from you and of, of from what you have given us. It's all yours. This is what we have given to you. Verse 15, for we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. This is where I think David got it right. So yeah, David was rich maybe even richer than he should have been as a king, but he did not have pride in his wealth. What we see here is great humility in his wealth. David understands that it is all from God, and because it is all from God, he can give it up willingly. Now, church, you guys have been with me for a while now. You know that I don't talk about money very often. I don't go out and try to... uh, hammer down your doors and say, all right, pay up. That, that's not how I roll, okay? I don't like to talk about money very often. It, it makes me uncomfortable. The truth of the matter is, uh, God is good to our church. He has been amazing and sustained us. Um, we don't need your money, okay? Uh, God is good, okay? But, but here's what I want to tell you. As, as I went through this, I was convicted of a reality I don't want to rob you of an opportunity to worship just because I don't like to talk about money just because it makes me uncomfortable. And what we see here in this passage is that David saw uh, the giving of wealth to the Lord as a tremendous honor, a joy, a chance to worship. And if I don't encourage you all to give, I'm robbing you of an opportunity to worship. What he says here is that he took stock of all that he had and he recognized that all that he had came from the Lord, that it all belonged to him. It all belonged to him. Nothing he had was because of anything he had done. And it all belonged to him. And he saw the opportunity to give abundantly, to give abundantly because God had blessed him so much. Now, here's what I love about God. What he's not after is a dollar amount, per se. What he's after is a heart of worship. What he is is after a a, a heart that recognizes, recognizes all that God has blessed him with and wants to just say, thank you. I love you. I don't deserve to worship you, but I can. And out of that, I want to express generosity to you. And so I want want you to listen to this. This This is a passage from Luke chapter 21. This is Jesus and he observes this, this woman who gives an offering. It says this in Luke 21, starting in verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich man putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, David gave billions. This woman gave two copper coins. Who gave more? Who gave more? It seems that Jesus would say this widow gave more because I'll guarantee you, as a matter of fact, we're going to read here in a minute, David ate well later. He did not give all that he had to live on. He gave billions but she gave more because those two copper coins were all that she had to live on. She gave till it really hurt. She gave till it really hurt. I gotta tell you, there have been some months when it's time to give, and I put that number in my app because that's how I give. This through the app, and I look at it. I think I could spend that somewhere else. This hurts. And then I think, oh, praise God, I have the opportunity to give this much. Praise God I have the opportunity to give this much. And I just love this idea of it hurting a little or hurting a lot. And I just think we're crazy, as, despite how rich it is, if we don't think David giving away over $5 billion didn't hurt, right? $5 billion is a lot of money. I don't care who you are, right? So so we see here David giving till it hurt. We see this woman giving till it hurt and the amount is vastly different and my point here is this, worship is not about the bottom line, it is about a heart that has received God's generosity and can't wait to give back generously as well Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver so don't hear me today preaching compulsion Don't hear me today preaching a number, though if anybody wants to give $5 I think we would take it. (laughs) Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Generous, joyful giving is part of worship. The third way that we see David worship joyfully is through his joyful praise, and this is where we see the party and the feasting. Look at 1 Chronicles 29, verses 20 and 22. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their head and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs, and, uh, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. Now look at verse 22. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Now I think you could uh, make a case here that this is another example of generous giving. But I see a nuanced difference here. What we see here is that both David and the assembly blessed the Lord. What we see here is this attitude of praise. They are joyfully praising the Lord. They bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord, and then they ate and drank before the Lord. Guys, they had a party. They had a party. They worshiped before the Lord as they fellowshiped and enjoyed what God had blessed them with. They ate and drank before the Lord. Just think about that. They saw it as an opportunity to celebrate the goodness that God had done. They praised Him joyfully. So David wanted to worship the Lord, and we see this in three ways. Through a commitment to obey, through giving joyfully and generously, and through praising and blessing the Lord by throwing a big old party before the Lord. Man, as I think about this, David knew highs and he knew lows, but no matter what, he could joyfully praise the Lord. What a challenge to us. No matter what we've been through, we have an opportunity to worship. Paul tells us this in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ when we think of all the sin that David faced, when we think of him as somehow disqualifying himself from worship, we've got to remember what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. You see, what really seems to happen for David in these moments of weakness is that he sees his great need for God's grace. And in those moments of great need, he sees God's mercy so much more Clearly, he knows in those low moments just how much he needs the Lord and how undeserving he was. And yet, as he knows that, he rests in the security of his forgiveness and just how much God loves him. Amen. We have that same opportunity as followers of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our sin one time for all who believe in Jesus. It's over. It is done. And because it is over and it is done, we can have security in that forgiveness. So when we fail, we can confess our sin, we can repent of our sin, accept His forgiveness, grace, and mercy, and then we can worship. Then we can worship. Luke chapter 7 tells the story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and hair. And Jesus then tells Simon, uh, the Pharisee, that he's eating with uh, a parable. And at the conclusion of the parable, he says this to the woman. I can't help but think of David here. He says this of the woman, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. David is an example to us that we should not run from the reality of our depravity. This Pharisee has fooled himself into thinking he's not depraved, that he somehow doesn't need grace, mercy, and forgiveness. David knew he needed grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Let me tell you, I know I need grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And each one of you needs grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And as we experience that grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God, that is the place where we can worship in spirit and in truth. So this is my charge to you today. Remember the grace and mercy you've been shown. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Should should we uh, continue to sin so that our uh, grace that we experience may increase? By no means, Paul says, right? But because our sin was great, and because the grace of Christ is greater, we can worship. So will the praise team come? And as we sing these last two songs, I want you to remember the love that God has for you. I want you to remember that Jesus died in your place. I want you to remember that he gave you life. And what do we do? I think today we worship a little louder. Let's sing a little louder today. And what I'm about to say may sound a little cringy, okay? I I know how this is going to sound, but I need you to hear me. There may be some of you who've been under conviction to give joyfully. And we don't pass the plate anymore. We haven't done that for a while. So I'm going to tell you how you can give, okay? You can give on the Church Center app, and if you need some help, we'd be glad to show you how to do that. But if you want to give in person, Tim and other ushers will be standing at the back of the room, and you can give now. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a little cringy, but here's the deal, okay? Sometimes acts of repentance need to happen in the moment. And if we continue to put them off, we find ourselves in perpetual disobedience, so I don't really care how cringy it sounds because I, I already told you we don't need your money. This is about you and your relationship with the Lord. And we have an opportunity to worship. We can worship a little louder and we can worship by being generous. And you know what? That's going to be between you and the Lord because I don't have a clue who gives. Okay? Would you guys pray with me and then we're going to lift up the name of the Lord in singing? Father, we thank you so much for your generosity. We thank you for the way you loved us. We thank you for the gift of your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the altar is open. Come and and feel free to lay your needs down before the Lord. If you're here today and you hear us talking about this grace and this mercy and you want to know more about what it is to follow Jesus, talk to a believing friend next to you or you can come find me and we would love to tell you more about what it is to place your faith in Jesus. Let's, Let's worship.